Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're hearing from different funders on how they are navigating the CARES Act. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on November 18th. The topics covered were what application aspects are working well, collaboration with other funders, how funders are managing a high volume of requests, among other things. The first voice we are going to hear is Ashley Harper, who was the webinar moderator. And apologies in advance for the changing volume levels you'll hear in Ashley's voice. We must have had a bit of a Zoom complication with her microphone. But luckily, most of the talking is done by the webinar participants, so hopefully it's not unbearably distracting. All right, let's join the conversation. Let's start with an aspect of your application or administration that you feel is is working well. So raise your hand, please, if you would like to get us kicked off. Yes. Hi, it's this Kanita Smalls. I was a director for a uh, department in bilingual ESL with a charter network. And I think that when we think about receiving money in this way that, especially those who manage uh, smaller groups, um, within a larger organization is we really have to be abreast of what is coming down the pike and advocate early. Uh, it really, had it not been for other interactions that I had, I would not have known about the funds and been able to advocate with the central office for ways in which it would have been, it, it was most meaningful for that to be used. And so usually when you're dealing with government money, you want one big ticket item because it's easier to track. But in certain instances, particularly when responding to an event like COVID, there were other things that we wanted to be sure were um, addressed, even if there was an inconvenience of reporting with multiple streams of um, you know, funding going out through those funds. So I think one thing about to be mindful of is to advocate, depending on your situation, be aware of what's coming and what is targeted to your particular population. And two, uh, oftentimes there is um, a list of what needs to be tracked and turned in. So early on, try your best to set up systems so that funds can be tracked um, as they're spent. And it doesn't create the need for you to spend hours, you know, remembering what was done and, and trying to gather the required information later. Yeah, very good advice. W- would you say that you had that the systems you had to set up were wildly different from what you're used to in order to manage? Uh, no. So these? we we dealt with Title Three funding as far as English learners went. So we uh, had a sense of um, you know what needed to happen as far as this particular funding. We I actually did not directly manage this because of the size and the scale of what we needed to do. Um, to be responsive to families' needs. It was uh, managed by the um, administration at the network level, whereas with Title III funding, that was more departmental funding. So, uh, but all that said, the systems I use, I learned from that larger um, group. So um, I really can't speak specifically, but I, 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 I get the sense that the government typically um, uses the same protocols. They don't veer wildly away from, you know, things such as how do you report um, how you use funds. 
Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Appreciate you being the first to speak up too. My name's Luis. I'm with a community foundation out here in West Texas. And I think really one of the saving moments for this project has been our strong partnerships with, with uh, community organizations. We're using a, uh, an organization called Project Bravo to help us reach out to uh, low income. We're right here on the border, so it's a lot of mixed status families. And so they've helped us not only network with these individuals and reach out to these communities that you know, they might not necessarily look at a community foundation for help. Right. And then not only reach out to them, but then also process and work with these these families individually like case manager. So that has been absolutely remarkable for us because we're we're relatively small staff. I'm a I'm a new hire and this is my first project. So <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I know trial by fire. <laughs> wow. So I guess one of my That's, my lesson from all this is use oh. use all your network. Mm -hmm. That's and did you initiate, uh, you know, ask for the help that you needed to those community organizations, or did they come to you? Uh, we actually, when we were talking, I guess, well, my predecessor, when they were talking with the with the city and the county governments to get all the funds together, to create a program, to get everyone in agreement. Uh, they were actually able to create a coalition of community organizations that I sort of inherited. And from there, we just took off. I, I can imagine this could be why, you know, community foundations was the largest um, population that we saw in the poll. And with community foundations already having so many networks, um, I can see how that would be super helpful. Thank you, Louise. I'm with Arts Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee, and our um, program is for individual, um, well, it's closed now, it was for individual artists. And so when we first started the process for the CARES funding, um, they the council's a bit unsure about what kind of documentation we'll have, have to provide in the end. Um, you know, end report. So since we were requesting individuals to attach um, some income loss proof, you know, there were documents. Well, I, of course, didn't necessarily want to have to download all those documents and send them, you know, 400 attachments. So what we did was add a drop down question for each attachment. And so they chose which attachment they they use so that we can run a report saying, you know, applicant A attached their driver's license as residency proof and, you um, two tax documents to show income. And so that was sufficient to kind of ex explain everything, but not have to go through every single document. And it really was helpful um, for ease of processing. That's a fantastic idea. Did you, you, you all have managed government federal funding before, is that right? Yes, but it's uh, that's more with organizations from the Tennessee Arts Commission. So this one was different. And I will say about individual individual grants, you know, a lot of, of course, these are emergency funds. So a lot of the applicants had never applied for a grant or this was new. So we really had to spell out, you know, another thing we did was we really had to spell out 
the requirements and why they had to do them um, because of course some people didn't necessarily have them and you know just explaining that unfortunately that was the process um, so definitely with the individuals that was kind of a bit more of a learning curve I think. Colleen I know in your normal grant rounds that y'all are really good about you know reaching out to your applicants prior to and doing workshops and things like that did you have time to do any prep of that sort um, prior to launching? Um, we actually, so we had a, a similar type of emergency fund that wasn't CARES funding in the spring, and I think that helped, but we actually did have an information session, I think about four days before it opened. And we did have some people, a lot of people signed up for it, but only a few people attended, but we did put it on our YouTube and that helped a lot as well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Obviously, this um, not only the situation that precipitated the CARES Act, but the amount of funds, the different opportunities um, brought with it extremely high volume of requests. I'm curious how people managed that. Did you have to add staff? Did you have volunteers? Did you partner with others? Hey, yeah, didn't mean to cut again, but as far as um, extra help, um, we didn't. Um, we managed it ourselves, but I will say the different phases and um, steps and found it really helped us with that. Um, it was just kind of a, that was my main work for the last couple of months, um, but we didn't have a very large amount, so it was manageable, but I know that other groups have had um, like roped in other employees uh, who will <laughs> roped in, <laughs> roped them in. Yeah. And so what um, we kind of did in, in a sense as well, and I know they're doing similar is that the main person who does this normally will kind of get the application through to evaluation stage and use other staff to evaluate and then help the back end. Um, so that they don't necessarily have to have a lot of experience working within Foundant. They just need to kind of get their eyes on it as a backup reviewer kind of thing. Um, and that's been helpful. And then as far as the taxes, we have been trying to figure that out for individuals. And um, it's kind of a weekly question that we ask all the time and still have not gotten an answer on our end. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I, I know that anecdotally, we heard from one, uh, I believe it was a community foundation that received about 6,000 requests, which is a lot. Um, so certainly we all have to wear many hats wherever we work. And I'm sure that pulling in others, having others volunteer is, is helpful. And also with the evaluation of the CARES Act, I believe that the most of that is just for eligibility. It's less arduous perhaps than um, looking at, you know, different content that you would in a regular grant application. Um, other, other lessons learned or, or items you would want to share about managing federal funds or um, what's gone well? Hi, I'm Allie Ingstrom, and I'm the CEO of United Way of Johnson County, which is just south of the Tarrant. Fort Worth area. Uh, we've used the emergency food and shelter program for years and years. And when the CARES came through on that, 
we designated that for rent and utilities in two agencies that, that we had partnered with previously to take care of that. Um, we find that the, the recording uh, of information and supplying the information they want <laughs> is grueling, but we have that system down now. So we're doing well with that. Every city in our county got CARES money uh, and they individually decided how they were going to use that. Um, our relationship with the agencies throughout the county and even outside the county have been a real asset for people who have money and don't know how to spend it or people who are in need, they can contact us and we know exactly who's doing what throughout the county and we, we're doing a large referral uh, base of folks and trying to keep them where they need to be at all times and be sure that they're not um, misusing or abusing the, the funding that we have down here. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So was the United Way the main conduit in your area, in your county at least? Yes. Thank you. Um, that kind of, I think, leads in also a number of you have talked about your different networks and partnerships um, that have been helpful. Um, what else have you learned about that? Were, did, did you work with others um, collectively in the state? Or if not, what about your other partnerships? What have been some of the benefits, hazards, lessons learned? I have a close relationship, whether they like it or not, with the county and, and the government agencies. And um, I demand to know where the money is and where it's going. And um, so that I, I may not put my hands on that money. And in some cases, I really don't want to. But I do know how they're using it and where it's being used and for what it's being used. And I, my suggestion here is get to know the people at the top. Um, and have and them know you and what you're about if you're a nonprofit, and then you know take a sandwich and sit outside their door if you have to. <laughs> but they've got to talk to you because you're there representing every soul in your county or your you know whatever area that you cover. So um, don't let it go by lightly. Uh, they can't kill you so just jump out there and and let them know that you can do as much for them as they can possibly do for you if nothing else in positive uh, public relations um, most of these people are going to be up for election at some point and they don't want you angry with them good point Allie gotta advocate for yourself that's yes yeah that's always a, a proactive strategy regardless of um what may or may not be coming down the line in terms of funding. Thank you for that. I'm with the Arts Council of Fayetteville in Cumberland County in North Carolina. Um, we had a pretty active uh, advocacy group, Arts North Carolina, that advocated our legislature for about $9.4 million of the CARES money that uh, then went to um, various state agencies, one uh, being the North Carolina Arts Council. North Carolina Arts Council then sort of looked at um, where other arts councils were located across the state 
and uh, was able to allocate based on population size, kind of a, made a per capita um, allocation to arts councils across the state with a stipulation that those arts councils then subgrant that money out to arts and culture nonprofit organizations that um, remained open during the pandemic. Our CARES monies um, were distributed as subgrants for uh, to reimburse these organizations for expenses to stay open from March of 2020 all the way through December 2020 of this year. Wow. And so how long did it take for all of that organization um, set out at the beginning to... That, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. So um, Arts North Carolina uh, did a lot of advocacy work as soon as federal dollars became available. Uh, and then, of course, uh, when the state legislature, when it got to the state legislature, that process became much, much slower um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, you know, you, you could say it's uh, because of the political climate in North Carolina. You could also say it's, um, you know, because we're trying to run a legislature during a pandemic. But um, so that said, once that happened, we actually worked with the North Carolina Arts Council on an extremely tight timeline. Um, I think within maybe uh, uh, our organization applied for this um, allocation from the North Carolina Arts Council. And between applying for the allocation, notification, and then making our subgrant, uh, making our organizations aware about the subgranting opportunities, it was maybe less than two weeks. Uh, within oh, wow. another two-week turnaround for those applications, and we just made those awards last week to those organizations. So it's a really, really we worked on a very tight timeline um, with the understanding that these dollars had to be spent by December of this year. And so have you, have you granted all the money out? We have actually, we, we've granted all the money. We're uh, granted all those funds out from the state uh, and anticipate potentially, uh, you know, where there are arts councils that perhaps don't necessarily have capacity to grant their full allocation per capita allocation. We anticipate um, there could potentially be additional dollars that come to arts councils like ours uh, to subgrant out to additional organizations because our, our need um, you know, substantially outweighed the, the allocation that we received from the state. Yeah, I imagine, imagine most people would, would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Kenan. I can see where having a having these relationships prior to something like a pandemic, um, you know, having these strong relationships with your state agencies, with your legislators, with your local authorities, um, you know, having those things in place can can really put you in a much better position when this type of thing occurs. I just wanted to follow up on what Kenan was saying. I work for a regional arts organization based out of Kansas City, and we work in partnership with six states in our what we term our region from Nebraska down to Texas. And so each of the state arts agencies got an allocation from the National Endowment for the Arts, as did we. Uh, and that allocation is meant to be spent either if it's the state arts agency, they of course needed to use the CARES funding for their state. We as a regional could use it to fill in the gaps, so to speak. And so we worked 
tightly with our state arts agencies to determine what they could not fund, um, the kinds of organizations that they could not read that are arts and culture based and found ways to help fill the gap using the funds that we have to um, support organizations that are more of a, a service arts organizations that help to network like-minded organizations across the region. So um, that, that certainly helped a lot of nonprofits. All of those organizations are nonprofit um, that, that, that the funding was going to. And I think each of the states were reaching out to fund nonprofit arts organizations across their states for um, the expenses that, that, that they were losing um, or just simply trying to keep the, the doors open. Right. Thank you. Thank you. This is Kristen. Um, so we are a state arts council that has been referenced a couple of times in here that received funding directly um, from the NEA and then turned around and ran. Um, we did three regranting programs to start with, uh, one for nonprofit arts organizations, one as recovery for cost loss that was available to both individuals and organizations, and then um, an ongoing program that's just for individuals. Um, and I think on the partnership piece, something that worked well for us, um, it did, we, so several, a lot of the state funding went out to different agencies. And one of the sort of um, directives that we received from the legislature was the transparency piece. And if you're familiar with Montana, we're big on that, um, that everything is open and available to anybody who asks, which, you know, has its good sides and downsides as an administrator. Um, but so I posted the link to the website where they show where the funding went within the state. And so that from there, you can back out and see what programs were available. And I posted it in, in answer to what nonprofits could do. Um, so a couple pieces of partnership. This has really helped us in an odd way to build some sort of on the fly relationships with some of these people that you know, when all of a sudden you're like, well, we got to throw together a website in 20 minutes. Anybody got any ideas? You know, it, you, you get, you get really comfortable with each other really fast. There's not a lot of formalities there that sort of, we bypass some of that, um, which, you know, in a virtual environment, that's a little weird, but it, it works. Um, we also partnered pretty heavily with Humanities Montana. Uh, they also use Foundant uh, as their grants management software. And so that was really handy. We got together early on and just shared applications and ideas, you know, from a technical perspective that was um, made us not feel quite so alone. And you're like, oh yeah, a drop down there would really solve that, wouldn't it? Kind of um, design thinking. Uh, the other thing that, that was really valuable to us is that, um, and we had nothing to do with this. I'm really glad somebody thought of it. Uh, Liz Moore, who is the director of the Montana Nonprofit Association and uh, a brilliant resource for anybody who's looking, a plug for them. Uh, if you're looking for documents for organizations about how to be a nonprofit, she has some great uh, resources out there on her website or on their agency, their organization website. But she was actually on the governor's task force for uh, business recovery for coronavirus. And so having her there as an advocate um, one, it, it just gave us one person to go to. So it was a lot easier to kind of get the real story and, and get the communication pieces out. It was like, well, just find out what Liz knows and then 
will disseminate it, but we know it's true because she's on that task force. So having a source close to the top like that really was um, a benefit for, for some of this um, as we did it. I don't know how she did it because I don't, she was, she's got to be exhausted, but um, (laughs) she, you know, she was managing a hundred things at once, but um, so that's, that was another piece. One thing we chose not to do that may or may not have been a mistake, but we didn't set up our own website to, to try and gather all of the uh, sources of funding. We just relied on other people's and just pointed people to things like Americans for the Arts and and other programs like that. Um, We reached a capacity maximum. We have a seven person staff and, you know, all the rest of our programming continued on. And so, so that's one thing that I feel like it's important to acknowledge that sometimes it's okay to let things go um, or choose not to do things. If it, if you kind of measure out that capacity and impact, and that was one of the things that was kind of hard for us to let go, but we did it. And as it turned out, that was fine because so many of the funding sources were just available in March and April, and then they were gone. Um, and so, so reaching out to people by email and, and doing that actually worked out um, better for us. And one final plug, and then I'll stop talking. Our programming is still open. Uh, we will be accepting applications through, um, gosh, February 18th is our final deadline for our individuals program. So this is this, we received another an additional chunk of funding from the state of Montana. And so this is probably our biggest program we've ever done, like to the tune of it's more money than we've awarded in all the rest of our programs for the last year. So wow. we're a little overwhelmed. Yeah, I can imagine. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah, I wondered if, if others have still have programs ongoing. Uh, seemed like the money, you know, got got out in um, record time and um, and then was gone. So uh, I wonder, are there others? Well, let's um, let's also move on to reporting. Um, a colleague was saying that. Um, it seemed that there were various interpretations um, of what the expectations were for reports and that those may perhaps continued to change. Um, so do you have clear reporting standards uh, that you're expected to meet? And how's, how's that going? You feel prepared for that? I... Uh, I've had some of my agencies that receive money from the city where they're located, uh, the CARES Act money. And for instance, um, on rent and utilities within the city, they cannot pay the water bill because that money would benefit the city. I, I found that ludicrous, but um, they don't. They didn't call me and ask me what did I think before they did it. Um, Next time, maybe. Yeah, uh, I would be verbal. Um, Again, the only money that comes through me that I I have control of, I I have a system for reporting. I give that and the agencies that receive funding from us know exactly what they have to do, what the time frame is. Um, But in listening to others, this the reporting on the CARES Act funding, depending on what you're using it for and how it's coming to you, whether it's through a municipality or probably even the, go- the, the local county government, it, it differs. 
and um, it's it's kind of scary. And uh, there are a lot of people I think that are kind of sorry that they applied for it because now they're struggling with how to re to do their reports and how it can be used and how it absolutely cannot be used. Uh, and I think that's sad. I, I've, I really wish that the government, the, the federal government, when they decided on this, had taken a, a better look at how they expected the, the money to be used, what the limitations were, and, and put those in black and white. And it, it doesn't seem like it's that way for everybody. All good points. Thanks, Allie. Um, beyond reporting, I, did, I wanted to call out, we, we saw a number of really creative ways that our clients, um, you know, streamlined their application process in order to get these things done quickly. Um, is So those included, and, and of course, these types of streamlining practices don't have to be um, limited to federal funding or the CARES Act, but uh, having very short registration processes. We saw a number of sites um, configure themselves to have just first name, last name, email address. And then for folks who were not used to applying for grants or having the need to apply for grants, this was just an easier process for them. Um, putting eligibility criteria clearly at the top of, a, of an application and noting um, you know, if you say no to this question, this will disqualify you as an applicant. So that type of transparency of here's what we have to have, here's what will not work. Um, and then an, another one that I really thought was creative was adding to the application grant agreement type language um, it, in assuming that the applicant would get a grant, they were already agreeing to that sort of boilerplate grant agreement language so that no additional grant agreement had to be collected once a grant was awarded. So, um, you know, they always say you come up with very creative um, methods and, and tricks when under pressure. And I think this is certainly one of those situations. Absolutely. It's sort of a necessity being the mother of invention. This is Yeah, kinda, I couldn't think of the, the, the silver. Phrase, there you go. <laughs> There we go. Idiom, idioms for days. So. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What else? Other topics or questions that you have about CARES? Other experiences you can share with your peers? We'd love to hear it. The one thing that has helped me tremendously is I get a weekly report from the 211, which is actually the hub is for United Way, well, the entire state uh, is located in Houston. But I get a chart breakout and it shows all the calls that came in for COVID and what they were asking. And then it also breaks out by age, by, uh, and it's for my county, uh, whether or not they're veterans, um, so that I can, and where the calls came from, what cities within the county. Um, that helps me a lot because then I can reach out to agencies that are perhaps in those cities or that cover those cities, and I can share that information, and we can kind of stay on top of what people are the most frantic about right now in the county. Um, and then try to get that on my website, try to get it out in newsletters, um, just so that people don't feel 
so panicked and, and frightened and they know who to call. Uh, they may not get what they're looking for, but at least they can talk to somebody. Um, and that, that has helped me a lot, as well as keeping up with all of the people that I know that are doing food and uh, shelter and uh, the rent and utilities, which is right now the most important. Testing. Uh, we've got a couple of testing sites, and sometimes those move about. And I stay in touch with the hospital here, which is Texas Health Resources, uh, to stay on top of when the vaccine, when we finally start making plans to receive the vaccine, where that's going to be, who's going to be uh, the first ones uh, to receive it, and how, I've, how I can go about assisting them in getting that word out to the, the people who will be the first ones to receive. Um, and again, it's just for us, it's having relationships where I can call people in the middle of the night and say, can you give me the latest figures? <laughs> can you tell me where I need to be tomorrow? Um, but as far as receiving money, I, you know, we haven't received that much money. Um, we're a lot of what we do uh, is just letting people know what we need and, and we get it in small increments, but we get it done. Great. Thank you, Allie. We've seen so much sharing of forms and, and processes and experiences and resources throughout this. I mean, we always see that in the philanthropic sector, I think, but mm -hmm. um, it's been wonderful so that folks don't have to start from scratch. Um, and thank you again for joining us on this Coffee Talk about the CARES Act. We appreciate you being, uh, being with us. Enjoy the rest of your day. So that was our conversation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our coffee talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.